Hey everybody, you're listening to Jimmy's Table Podcast, jimmystable.com. I am your host, Jimmy Humphrey. Today is episode 12, where the topic is going to be that of repentance. Oh boy, I've, I've used a, everybody's favorite four-letter word, repentance. <laughs> ah, what do you think of when you think of the word repent? Well, you probably imagine kind of an angry street preacher type standing on a corner somewhere shouting, turn or burn to everybody who walks by. Or you think of a sweaty Baptist or Pentecostal preacher just pounding on the pulpit as he points his finger down at you, looks at you, and gaze an intense yelling voice saying, repent for the kingdom of God is a hand, you know, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not everybody's favorite topic, um, exactly in the world. Well, some people kind of like top the, the topic of repentance because they get to be the one begging on the pulpit or staying on the street corner, shouting everybody repent. And it, it feels pretty good to tell everybody to get right with God and, and, uh, to turn or burn and, and to do so in a very authoritative Bible thumping chest beating bow breed just this this entire <laughs> character of of something you you see you you see charles every time you hear the word repent you think charleston heston and the ten commandments um <laughs> type of scene with moses and a staff and telling him pharaoh let my people go and you know all that sort of stuff there's there's a lot of baggage with that word repent and as a result people sit there and think well preacher <laughs> that word repentance that doesn't sound too pleasant you you say it kind of angry uh and your sweating makes me nervous and i'm i'm concerned i'm not concerned for my soul i'm, I'm concerned about you and what you're saying because frankly you don't sound like you're a lot of fun at parties and i like to have fun at parties and you're going to rob me of my fun at parties with this entire repent uh, talk. So, as a result, people hear that, process that, and uh, many people, I would say, vast majority of people, not all people, but many people, kind of turn away from God in that moment because you sit there and think, well, God's not going to do anything except suck all the fun out of my life and the things that I want to do and I don't like that because I like doing things my way and I like enjoy having a good time sometimes a really good time uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I don't want to be robbed of my good time and it sounds like that's all God is going to do as a result of me repenting He's going to rob me of all my fun. But you know, that's kind of what, you know, the devil told Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, looked around and said, hey, Adam, look at, look at that over there. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're being robbed of something. Or I'm sorry, he said that to Eve. <laughs> you're being robbed of something. God's, God's holding back on you. Uh, that, that, that tree over there that you're not supposed to eat. God just doesn't want you to eat that tree because of that tree because the day you do, well, you know, you're going to be like God and God doesn't want that. Uh, so, you know, God's just holding out on you. God's keeping you from your best life now. 
Um, so, uh, you know, don't do what God says. That, that sucks. That's no fun. <laughs> and that's really been our attitude towards repentance over the years. And, you know, we look at God as being the one who ultimately is just the one who uh, sucks fun out of things. Because, you know, God says things like, you know, don't have sex before marriage or outside of marriage. And that just sounds crazy to us because, well, who'd want to do that, right? <laughs> uh, why be denied the opportunity to gauge in something fun and pleasurable, uh, something to really pass the time with, uh, and it beats video games? <laughs> so, you know, that doesn't sound like something I don't not want to do. Um, or we sit there and think, man, you know, getting drunk that that sounds fun you know we have a good laugh have a good time uh makes the atmosphere lively and joyful and uh you know not like a library because that's what church sometimes seems like apart from the angry yelling person who's telling me to repent <laughs> um you know and, and so we kind of think of that when it comes to to god um but you know i think we have the wrong attitude of our attitude towards repentance and we need to repent of our repentance um when it comes to it because i think we totally have the wrong mindset and um as a result we we you know if we do something for god um or abstain from something from god we we do it with a sense of drudgery and a heavy heart we're like well i don't want to go to hell and so, as fun as that sounds, these things God, God doesn't want me to do, well, hell sounds worse, and I don't want to go there. So, I'm bothered by that, and I'm going to become a stickler for the rules and try to do whatever God says. I, I really don't want to do what God says, but, you know, the alternatives, well, that's kind of worse. Um, and, and, you know, we see that, you know, not only in the attitudes of, uh, maybe perhaps young Christians or people who are doubtful or skeptical about Christianity and the beliefs of the teachings of uh, scriptures about uh, ethical considerations. Um, but, you know, you even see that amongst even well-established Christians. It's like, you know, we, we hear about various Old Testament sacrificial and dietary laws and festivals and restrictions and, you know, not being allowed to do work on the Sabbath or having to pay your tithes or, or whatever. And we sit there and think, man, all those burdensome laws. I like medium rare steak. I like bacon. And I like having more money. And I don't want to have to do all those crazy Old Testament laws that we read about in the Bible because... That sounds burdensome. That sounds terrible. Why would, in God's name, anybody want to do any of that? Yet, you know, I have over the years been struck by Psalm 1. And, and really, when we read about the Old Testament laws, we, we read this kind of uh, attitude that the Old Testament saints had towards the law, even in its all its strictness and its legalistic sort of ways. Um, that, you know, gives the opposite impression of, of what um, we should have as an attitude towards God and his will and that sort of thing. Like Psalm 1, it's, uh, David wrote, 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked one will perish. You know, I, I, I see this kind of interesting contrast here that David has. You know, David, Old Testament saint, born in the co Old Covenant, uh, had to obey all those burdensome laws that we read about and kind of scoff at and make fun of, uh, perhaps as Christians. But, you know, he talks about, even in his time, under the Old Covenant of all things, before Jesus even came onto uh, the scene, that, you know, his delight was in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditated day and night. And as a result, he looked at himself as this, this tree planted by refreshing waters that allowed him to, to blossom uh, and to be fruitful uh, in season and out of season. Um, but, you know, he contrasted uh, this delight he had in the law of the Lord and, and the ways of God, even under the Old Testament. He compared it to the sinner, uh, which, you know, didn't delight himself in the Lord and didn't delight himself in God's law and did not delight himself in God's word. Um, and, you know, he's like the, the sinner. He's, he's like the chaff which the wind drives away he's not going to be able to stand on the day of judgment he's not going to be able to stand in, in god's holy congregation um and his ways are ultimately the ways of somebody who is destined for judgment and to perish now when i see david say these things he talks about things that are beautiful and things well that are not so much the ways of the lord in david's eyes are beautiful the, the the ways that aren't god's ways whatever those ways is and he doesn't even get into the details of what those ways are he's just like you know the wicked guy the guy who doesn't delight himself in the law of the lord the guy who doesn't meditate on his word and delight in it in his heart that man's the man in trouble that's the man that is robbed of something beautiful because of god's word not making an impact in his life and he sees god's word as something that makes his life beautiful and awesome and wonderful um and if it was that way for david under even all those old burdensome old testament laws you know all those terrible laws that we scoff at as christians you know that how much more is it for us of us who believe in jesus and don't have the old covenant as our covenant but instead have the new you know, and I sit there and think about uh, that word delight. I, I went ahead and looked up the word delight um, in just the Webster's Dictionary. Uh, actually, I Googled it. Uh, I'm assuming that's coming from Webster's. But, you know, Google told me the definition of words because Google is the ultimate definer of everything in the universe. <laughs> um, but, you know, Google <laughs> says, you know, this awesome definition for delight um, you know, just the general, uh, to, to please somebody greatly. But uh, one of the synonyms that Google listed for delight that I really enjoyed 
Um, it's something that just kind of tickled my fancy. My fancy. Uh, <laughs> that's my southern coming out of me. Um, a cinnamon for cinnamon. It's not not cinnamon, but a synonym. <laughs> cinnamon is good on bagels, by the way. Um, but uh, a, a cinnamon. Uh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but a, a synonym for delight is take somebody's breath away. And I just like that. Because I think when we think of God and think of his ways, you know, we instead of being saying, oh man, look at all these, these terrible things that God is denying me from in my life, we should instead have the opposite attitude that um, God's ways of, and the, the way he instructs us to live our lives is so beautiful that it should take our breath away. Do you have that attitude towards to God and his word and, and to, to what Jesus Christ has taught us and what Jesus Christ accomplished in his life? Does the words of God, does the ministry of Jesus, does the work of the cross and the resurrection, does that resonate with you? Does, does, does that take your breath away? Well, does it? Or is it kind of like, well, you know, some of this stuff I, I really don't like and so kind of avoid it, like loving my enemies. I, I don't like that. Treating others as they would treat, you know, treating others like I would like to be treated instead of treating others as they deserve to be treated. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, um, you know, all the little things that Jesus taught that we kind of conveniently ignore because, you know, we ultimately don't delight in them. Um, we see this repentance, this turning to the ways of God, turning from the way that we want to walk in our life and, and following the ways that God would have us to follow. Um, we look at it as a problem. Um, and in fact, we should have the opposite attitude. Jesus, in one of his parables in Matthew 13, um, talks about the pearl of great price and the treasure hidden in a field, um, both of uh, extreme value, great value, that when a man who discovered these things went and sold all that he had in order that he might obtain that pearl of great price or that treasure hidden in a field. Um, that should be our attitude towards the kingdom of God. We should be pleasantly and joyously and wonderfully surprised and delighted and Christ and his word and his teachings and its application in our lives. But we don't have that attitude. Um, and we continue to see uh, the repentance that God calls us to as this awful and dreadful thing. And it's something, you know, we use to beat other people over the head with too. Uh, you know, but, you know, I get this impression when I read the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, even for the Old Testament, with all its, uh, you know, cries of judgment and woe, and God's going to bring the Babylonians to burn the city with fire uh, type talk, that there's still this attitude that the prophets even had of old, and, and I think you continue to see uh, in Jesus and the Apostles, um, that instead of, you know, repentance being found in this sort of ugly, uh, difficult uh, thing that, you know, we don't want to do, um, that it's instead something glorious. And, and I, I think of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees a vision of God 
Um, and he has this magnificent vision of God in which uh, there's these angels flying around the throne room of God. Um, and Isaiah is so overwhelmed at these angels who do nothing but cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Um, and Isaiah sees this, and, and he feels the foundations and thresholds of the temple that he's in, and his vision shaking. Um, and the temple's filled with smoke, and, and he's overwhelmed, and he cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone. And I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, Isaiah, he didn't need some preacher to beat him to death with a Bible to tell him to repent and get right with God. Even though, you know, he would actually, you know, do a little of that type of preaching in his life because of, well, you know, some very complicated factors. Um, but, you know, the thing that led Isaiah... Uh, ultimately to repent in his own life was he had this vision of the beauty and splendor and awesomeness of God and he saw the brilliance of God and he saw the angels in worship and he saw God in his majesty and his and his glory uh, sitting in his temple and he saw that and that vision of what he saw and God in all his glory that is ultimately what pierced his heart that is what led him to repentance because he saw how beautiful God was. And that beauty overwhelmed him to the point that he repented of his sins. He saw all that and said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He didn't need the angels to beat him to death. He didn't need God to, to thump him with the Bible in order to, to captivate uh, him and to point him in the right direction. No. He just had a simple revelation of who God was. And he saw that the Lord was majestic and beautiful. And that was enough to undo Isaiah. And I think it is the same for us as Christians today. We should taste and see that the Lord is good. And we should encourage people to taste of the kindness and goodness and the tender mercies of Christ. And to so show Christ to people that they see the beauty of who he is in his death and in his resurrection. And, and that we should see all that we need to see. To see that God is beautiful and that his ways are awesome, are awesome and majestic. And as something that we ultimately want to follow. Yeah, there's still a place for turn or burn type messages. Isaiah delivered it. Jeremiah delivered it. John the Baptist delivered it. Jesus even delivered it. And, you know, you see the apostles in the book of Revelation. You, you, you see that theme, uh, that, that, that negative theme we associate. But, you know, I think that when you see it in Isaiah or Jeremiah or John the Baptist or Jesus or the apostles, you only see it after... All other options have been exhausted when the gospel has clearly been presented in such a compelling way so as to cause men to see the beauty and wonder and glory of the Lord that they should repent. But their failure to do so after having received such a message, that's and when, when the moment is escalated and the time is right and, and when, when it seems like judgment is imminent uh, and should come at any moment, that's only when you see 
the prophets and Jesus and John the Baptist and the apostles ratcheting up their language when they realize that people just aren't getting it, <laughs> even though it's been made as clear as crystal to them. That's, that's when you see that language. But before that, before that, you see people showing everyone the kindness of the Lord because the Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that ultimately leads us to repentance. So what's our takeaway with all this? How, how should we look at it? I think, again, just to reiterate, repentance is beautiful. It's not this ugly thing of turn and burn. It's a seeing God and Christ for who they are and their beauty and their majesty and the life that they want you to, to call you to live, to walk in the ways of love and justice and mercy and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, to, to walk a life full of the Spirit of God, abounding in the fruit of the life that he would have us to ultimately live. And even though we may, in our Christian life, go through trials and tribulations and, and distresses and persecutions and, and challenges, and you know there are going to be some times where we just think, man, God's will, I don't really care for it. I know in my life there's times where I say, man, I don't really care for God's will. But you know there are other times in my life that I sat there and thought, you know, I'm going to withhold myself from this thing, this, this thing that I want to do in and of myself, because I ultimately see that the ways of God, they're beautiful. And I want to walk in that beauty. I want that beauty in my life, in the life of my friends, my family, my wife, uh, my coworkers, uh, people at church, and, and everybody else. In, in my life. I, I want that beauty that God offers uh, to save me and to rapture me, and I want it to, to rapture everyone else. Maybe beauty will save the world. I want to walk in beauty and love and all the good things that God has for all those who would just delight themselves in him. I want to be that, that man that David sang about in Psalm 1 who, who delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates in it day and night and is like a man firmly planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season where the leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. That sounds like a pretty awesome, abundant life a life that I think God ultimately has for us. And I think it's something we should set in our hearts to delight in. And if we sit there and think, man, the way of the Lord is not beautiful and it is troubling to me, then maybe that's a, uh, an indication that you know something is a little miss in our thinking and that we need to change the way we think, that we need to change the condition of our heart. Uh, and we need to pray that we get to the place to where we can see that what God is calling us to walk in is truly the beautiful way of life. And it's a beauty that he desires to bring, a glory that he desires ultimately to bring to this world through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you know, at the end of the day, nothing is going to change us. Hell won't change us. The preaching of hell won't change us. But the preaching of the life-altering message of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. If, if God raised a dead man to life after three days after having been buried and crucified, then that should be more than enough to change our outlook on 
everything to change the way we think, to change the way we ultimately behave and the ways that we ultimately walk in this world. And if it's not, well, then maybe we need to consider our turn, our burn message, because maybe we need to be awakened to the dangers for rejecting such a beautiful and awesome thing, the awesome ways of God and what he has called us to ultimately participate in, in his kingdom and his life, the life that he would ultimately have for us. So everybody, this is Jimmy Humphrey. This was episode 12, Jimmy's Table podcast. If you have any comments, reach out to me at jimmy at jimmystable.com. Also be sure to check out on Facebook at Jimmy's Table. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter. Um, look me up there. Um, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe to it through the jimmystable.com website, or you can go to it on Apple podcast. I iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, and you know, like a dozen other places that podcast are ultimately broadcast on. Um, be sure to reach out to me, subscribe, review, leave comments. I love to hear from you. Uh, and if you know me in real life, don't be afraid to say, Hey, Jimmy, I liked what you said, or I hated what you said. You know, I don't mind disagreement. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, reach out to me and say, let's talk. Let's, let's meet over some coffee. Let's, let's, or let's have something good to eat. Uh, and oh, by the way, be sure to check out jimmystable.com slash food, where I've been slowly but surely posting some variety of food recipes, steaks, burgers, chicken, uh, some awesome lemonade, um, and all sorts of just general yummy goodness. And if you would like to see all the archives of the jimmystable.com uh, podcast, um, jimmystable.com slash listen is a place you can get all the show's archives. If you don't go check it out on uh, Apple, iTunes, podcast, Spotify, and all the other places that this is put. So anyway, everybody have a good day. Take care and look forward to hearing from you soon.